Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. everybody welcome back to a brand new episode of believe in the jaguars right here on the believe podcast network my name is phil smith one of your co-hosts aka phil the filipino and of course joining me is your other co-host james johnson the managing editor of the jaguars wire and jay you know last week after a short week we are now back to business as usual here on believe in the jaguars coming off a Man, just uh, another performance where there are bits and pieces of this team finally putting it together. And, you know, you leave Thursday, of course, disappointed, but also somewhat optimistic. And then we have ourselves a wild weekend as far as Jaguar fans, and we're going to discuss all of it. But before we do that, Jay, how are you doing? And again, it's good to be back here with you, albeit to talk about some some wild stuff outside of what happened, uh, you know, up there in Cincinnati. (laughs) Yeah, man. Talk about a wild week, man. And I don't know if I'm ready for like at first I was ready for this podcast because I was so eager to talk about the quarterback play that we haven't seen in years. Right. And uh, get my thoughts off as well as to why the Jaguars can't finish games. And I was like coming into this week. I think I might have texted you this. Like this is one of the podcasts that I am most excited about in a long time. That's not to say I'm never excited about recording in general. Uh, but then, you know, we had some things transpire on the weekend. And it was like, oh, man, like, am I ready for this podcast, man? So uh, here we are. Can't have any nice things, apparently. <laughs> we cannot, man. We cannot. But yeah, here we are. And uh, as always, we appreciate everybody that's been rating, commenting and subscribing and checking us out in any way, shape or form. And uh, we ask that you continue to support us. And um, yeah, man, I'm ready to get this one. I guess I'm ready to get this one on the road. Absolutely. And not only are we going to talk about the last few days, we, of course, are going to look ahead and do our weekly Behind Enemy Line series, of course, this week with Believe in the Titans with our good friends, Denard Walker and Davey Hudson, who are awesome every single time, despite the team that they root for. But before we get into that, folks, of course, we want to thank you all for joining us so far and and being with this show since it started. The feedback continues to humble and surprise us. We truly could not do this show without you. So thank you all so much. If you have been listening on your Apple device, please consider subscribing and leaving the show a five-star review. That's one of the best ways you can support the show. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can, of course, find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast as part of the Believe Podcast library. You can tweet the show at Believe in Jags Pod or when it's working, find us on Instagram at Believe in Jags Pod as well. You can find me at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O, and Jay's over at SportsGrind underscore Dawn. And, of course, make sure you keep up with the team at the thejaguarswire.usatoday.com. And, of course, last but not least, we have to give a shout-out to this week's sponsor, Bet Online, because it is back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. 
With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your bonus from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, folks. So with the housekeeping out of the way, let's go ahead and get into the last few days. Now, of course, Jay, we are going to discuss the Jaguars performance against the Cincinnati Bengals here in just a moment. But that's not what people are talking about as far as what's going on with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Of course, what everyone is talking about is a viral video of Urban Meyer emerging on the Internet, specifically Twitter I believe this was Saturday night, Jay. Correct me if I'm wrong. And I remember we first get the text and we're uh, getting tagged and all this stuff on social media, wondering what the hell is going on. And man, you have all seen the video at this point or at least heard about it. And of course, it sent shockwaves through not only, you know, NFL Twitter, but college football Twitter and Jacksonville Twitter. I mean, just literally social media in general went absolutely nuts. So, Jay. Take us back to a couple nights ago. We're just enjoying ourselves. You know, probably uh, I was hanging out with my daughter. You were probably, you know, uh, hanging out and and enjoying yourself with some of those vintage video games you got laying around. And then Urban Meyer (laughs) slides into our DMs and ruins our night. What what the hell is going on? (laughs) Right, right. And first and foremost, to clarify, for those of you who who, want to like, just analyze our every move. Phil is laughing because this just took us by shock and we were having a normal day, you know, and the Jag- just like the Jaguars always do, right, ladies and gentlemen, they find a way to ruin our day, our weekend. <laughs> we just, we literally, didn't we literally you, talk about You listening at home or probably having dinner, you know, you're spending time with your right. loved ones. <laughs> In your case, you're spending time with your daughter, being a good father. And then the Jaguars always find a way to insert their way into your day. It's just like we were saying last week on Monday. I wake up Monday. I get up. I thank God for waking me up another day. I go to the computer, get ready to start assigning some articles and writing some articles myself. And I think to myself, oh, how could a Jaguars ruin my day today? And they trade C.J. Henderson. It's like, oh, well, there you go right there. Now in their defense, and we'll talk about this when we do the game review, Dan Arnold looked pretty good. And uh, we'll get into that later, man. That was an athletic guy that a lot of people uh, spoke highly of his athleticism uh, before he got here and he displayed it. And then, you know, CJ Henderson, apparently like his video is going viral of him getting cooked by Amari Cooper and everybody's been on his case, but uh, you know, it's a time will tell thing and I digress from my point, but yeah, like you said, the Jaguars just find themselves inserting their ways, their way into our weekends or our normal days. As you said, me, the vintage video game player that I am, I had plates. I recently bought the new Contra or the Contra Anniversary Edition on uh, my Switch, was playing it, and then took a nap. And as always, this this seems to happen for ever since I started covering the Jags for some reason. I'll take a nap, and my phone starts vibrating and vibrating and vibrating and vibrating. And when it does it the fifth time, I know it's not normal. And I open up the text threads. I open up, you know, social media. I open up every avenue you can open up on the phone. And pretty much there's Urban Meyer. And um, he has this young lady dancing on him. That's not Shelly Meyer. And 
of course, you know, like I'm thinking to myself, like, what do I do about this in terms of covering it? Do I cover it? Do I not cover it? Not that's not our type of thing in USA Today is like the tabloidy stuff, unless it was, uh, you know, a situation where he was arrested. Or it was, I guess you could say it was a situation that uh, she didn't approve of. So I saw plenty of journalists getting at it that are Jags journalists about this video. And some even had to come out and say, like, we seen the video. You don't have to send this to us. So you know it was bad at that point when, like, everybody that's from Jags Twitter that covers the team is getting a video. So, yeah, I saw the video, man. And, yeah, it's just, I was like, if you're a coach, like, how do you, like, when I saw that, and this is on the initial video, if you're a coach in the NFL, how do you get caught in that situation first and foremost in terms of being in an establishment like that? And second of all, the second question that was in my head is like, why the hell didn't he fly with the team back home? You know, like, because I know he didn't fly to Jacksonville and fly back to Cincinnati. That didn't make sense. Or back to Ohio, that didn't make any sense at all. So that was the biggest puzzling thing in my head is you just sent the team home without going with them, you know? <laughs> like, And they've been talking about this on ESPN, like Booger McFarlane, who I'll admit, like I, don't like a lot of his uh, analytics and takes and and what have you. But yeah, he did say this, that he found it odd that the team flew home without Urban Meyer and he stayed home to kick it with his grandkids, so he says. And that video came as a result of him supposedly staying home to be a family guy. And then that happens. The most Jaguar thing ever, right? Yeah, and he mentioned that in his presser today where, you know, he was talking to Trevor about him going to Las Vegas for his bachelor party and warning him about that. And, you know, it's a situation of you reap what you sow and your Urban Meyer is not doing that in this case. And, you know, we're talking about a situation where are adults allowed to be adults and, you know, consenting adults allowed to do whatever they want? Yes, absolutely. But if you're the leader of this football team, <laughs> the, the Internet should not be going insane in the middle of the night because of something that you're doing at a bar, you know, it's just not the case that just cannot happen. And yes, we are kind of laughing about it here because honestly, at this point in the life cycle of a Jacksonville Jaguar fan, that's exactly what you kind of have to do at some points. And I think that's where a lot of the fan base certainly sits right now is we're kind of just laughing about it and thinking to ourselves, of course, of course this happened. And now we have the attention of the national media again, for a reason other than our star up-and-coming franchise quarterback or the fact that James Robinson is one of the top 10 running backs in the league or the fact that Jamal Agnew is literally making history. Now we're talking about, did you see what Urban Meyer did over the weekend? And it's just getting to the point where it's like, man, how many more of these incidences between, of course, you know, starting with the strength coach and then the Tim Tebow thing, which in the grand scheme of things, wasn't that big of a deal, but it, you know, I can see how it certainly rubbed people the wrong way. And now this, and you see the video, Jay, we've now seen the video of Marcus Spears, you know, telling Shad Khan, like, Hey, you're on the clock. Now it's time to move on from urban Meyer, you know, even though it's only been a short amount of time. And I think I'm not sure where you fall, Jay, but I'm somewhere kind of like right in the middle because say something else happens and Shad Khan's hand is forced to get rid of Urban Meyer. I'm not necessarily too worried about it right now because I have a lot of confidence in what we've seen 
from Daryl Bevel and their relationship between Trevor and, and Daryl Bevel. But, you know, what do you think about all this specifically, you know, when you got national guys saying it's time for Urban to go? I, I get what they're saying, but at the same time, like, the national media and this in this case, they have every right to target him because it was straight stupid on his part to be at a bar and think nobody would film you, Urban Meyer. You are a football celebrity. You know, you are top 20 in football stardom in terms of being a celebrity. For you to go into that situation and think nothing was going to come of it, it's just absolutely just baffling to me. But at the same time, uh, you know, for whatever reason, ESPN, and it's probably because he was such a popular college coach and, you know, ESPN is heavily college-based, they always find their way, way to attack him, even before this situation, right? They've been at on his case 24-7, even, and, and rightfully so with Jack Doyle. Me and you were on his case, you know, it, they weren't the only ones. Rightfully so, but even, like, when you look aside from the Doyle thing, uh, you look aside from this thing, even when he goes to Publix and buys a loaf of bread, you know, ESPN is on it and, and making a, a big deal of it. So, like, I just think he has that superstar power in terms of the football community and the college football community and the NFL football community to where ESPN is always going to be on his case regardless of what he does. And that being said, you know, in terms of the incidents piling up, we've talked about this before with Dante Fowler, I think it was. And while none of these incidents necessarily were criminal, if you will, I know the situation where he, you know, he got into the altercation with the guy in Lauderdale uh, was, you know, that was along the lines of something criminal. Like if, if he did, I can't remember if he did assault the guy or not. But what I was saying is like Dante Fowler to just compare them. Dante Fowler was one of those guys that he kept having incidents, right? Me, you and Jacob talk about, talked about this. He kept having incidents. And some of them were minor incidents. Some of them were off the field incidents like him and Yannick and Gakwe getting into an altercation and fighting each other. Not even something related to a criminal past or anything like that. And I'm not saying Dante Fowler is a bad person, by the way, at all anyway. I'm not saying that one bit. But it'll be something like just minor, him and Yannick getting into an altercation. And then there'll be another little incident, something happened on the field, something with him and TC. Then it's always, it was just always something with Dante Fowler. And the comparison I made there is like he just kept having incidents to where it's like you keep chopping at this tree a little bit, just bit by bit. You keep chopping at the tree bit by bit. And eventually that trip, that, that tree falls over and you got a mess on your hands. And I think that's the comparison you were trying to make. Like, what if something else happens? What if the tree falls over? What if, you know, it keeps getting chopped at to the point where it can't stay upright? You know, like you have to wonder. What Shad Khan's hand be forced, you know, and uh, we'll see. I mean, maybe his hand is forced by this situation. Like you said, man, like it's just been for a journalist or from a journalist standpoint, it's been stressful and it's been just 24-7 something with this guy 24-7. Me, you, Eric, and Aaron addressed this beforehand when they first made this hire. We did not want Urban Meyer on this franchise because of all of the scandals or the the things off the field that he was related to and had his hands tied into. And those things, you know, it's no coincidence that these things keep following him. And, you know, we just wish it could simply be about Urban Meyer being a football coach, but it hasn't been a, you know, it hasn't been the case. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we're stuck covering a lot of stuff that's going on off the field or that's not related to the team directly or related to personnel decisions far too much and you know at this point you know it's a time we'll 
tell thing in terms of uh, what direction, you know, they go with Urban Meyer. Uh, but, you know, you have to feel like Shad Khan doesn't want to admit he made a mistake. So it's going to probably take something drastic for him to move on. Yeah. And again, you know, you kind of wonder at what point is there a limit into which Shad Khan says, OK, I, I kind of have to do I got to do something at this point. So, you know, whether it is something just absolutely catastrophic or if it does start to build up over time, that'll be interesting to see. I mean, if they continue to lose games, I'm not sure even if that would be the case, too, because they're losing games, but they're getting better as well. So it's not as if they haven't shown any improvement from week one, because forget about it then. In that case, if the team is not getting better and Trevor is not getting better, then, yeah, the the fan base is probably even louder as far as calling for him to be removed just altogether. So, yeah, you're right. And, And, you know, when people say the quarterback and their head coach that drafts them are literally attached at the hip, that is literally a thing because, as you said, it's not exactly easy for Shad Khan to move on from Urban Meyer because you want consistency for Trevor Lawrence and you don't want to have to keep making changes around him and and making changes around the staff around him and throwing him off of his game. You don't want to ruin the number one overall pick, the next Andrew Luck or whatever you want to call him, or the next Justin Herbert for that matter. You don't want to ruin that. And, you know, that's something that plays into this too, maybe, because, you know, as as harsh as critics as people were on Daryl Bevel, and I've been among them too, but for the most part, I do like Daryl Bevel, but when he's been wrong, I call the spade a spade. I've been calling him out. But what we're seeing is that Trevor Lawrence is learning, and he's literally doing everything Irving Meyer said, is I want him to learn how to be a professional NFL quarterback. And he's literally learning Daryl Bevel's way. He's learning, you know, the schematics of Daryl Bevel and, and this, that, and the other. He's learning the NFL game. And he did it so well on week four to the point where we're like, yo, man, this – we don't want to jump ahead of the curve real quick or we don't we don't want to we don't want to go too far with this yet but that guy is making some plays that we and we'll talk about this on the review that you just haven't seen from even above average quarterbacks that being said like they're attached at the hip and that makes this thing complicated him and urban Meyer attached at the hip and that kind of makes things complicated and that you know that that does make it hard from that standpoint for Shad Khan to do anything drastic. Um, but again, you know, time will tell, like, just from this point on, man, like, just make it about football, Urban. You know, just make it about football and stay, stay out of just nasty situations, man. But can you just can you just be a football coach? Can you just be a football coach for an organization and nothing more but a football coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars? That's kind of hard for Urban Meyer to do. But, you know, I guess we'll see how the rest of this year plays out. Me and you would not absolutely be surprised if more comes out or something else happens with Urban Meyer because it just trouble just seems to follow this guy for whatever reason. Well, the last thing we'll say about it here is, Jay, because we spent too much of this episode not talking about football because there was a football game that happened a few nights ago. The last thing I'll say here is you said it, I think, just last week, Jay, on last week's episode. This team needs leadership, and that starts with the head coach. And if if your leadership is being called into question because you yourself are making poor decisions, 
then what in the world is the rest of the team going to look like? Now, luckily, there do seem to be guys that have established themselves as the leaders in the locker rooms. Urban said that he you know, spoke one-on-one with some of those guys. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in that, in that situation. Who knows what was said? But again, for a young football team trying to learn how to win, which they clearly have not done yet, they're getting there, but they haven't figured it out quite yet. You, you got to have a guy up at the top that is going to lead by example. And that's not necessarily what's happening here so far. Uh, Jay, do you have anything else to add before we move into the game? Yeah, and where it gets complicated is, you know, what Irvin said in the press conference is, you know, I'm and I'm just paraphrasing here. Uh, you know, he went out with family to a dinner and, you know, it just escalated to a thing where people wanted to get on a dance floor and he just should have removed himself from that situation. Yeah, you're right. You should have removed yourself from that situation. But all of that you just said, you know, there, there's conflict and stuff going on now with, you know, more videos coming out that say that that's not the truth, you know. And, again, that put Shot Khan at a, a difficult situation as well. As you said now, like, it's none of our business what, con- you know, consenting adults do. And, you know, had it been or it looked or had it looked like a non-consensual situation, of course, being you, and we spoke out of, on this anyway, you know, in terms of in the past, Men, fellas, gentlemen, keep your hands to yourself, you know, type of deal. But, you know, we don't know, like, how the young lady is going to go about it and her situation. But her actions would indicate that, you know, and it's her body. She could do whatever. I don't want to go there with it. But her actions would indicate that, you know, that he didn't force himself on her necessarily. But at the same time, like, if that's out and that, is, uh, you know, it's visual proof of, you know, other things going on other than what Urban Meyer said. That's conflict. And that means, like, did you tell Shad Khan this? You know, if not, you know, you lied to Shad Khan. You lied to your boss. And there's video proof out there that you did lie to your boss. And that's an issue in itself. And, I mean, like, nobody's exactly surprised that that's the case because it's Urban Meyer. And, you know, he's – sometimes he hasn't been a truthful guy. So, you know, that's a, that's something Shad Khan are going to have to – see eye to eye on and talk about or you know Shad Khan's gonna have to uh, you know take some into action on that and I, but it's a just a time will tell type of thing uh when the Jaguars you know should be focusing on our most hated rival the Tennessee Titans yeah very well said you know again we should be focusing on winning a game and instead you know they have to spend the opening moments of you know today's presser talking about a, a viral video on social media which I'm sure is not where any of us saw this season going heading into week five but nonetheless as i mentioned we've spent way too much time not talking about football let's go ahead and do that because the jacksonville jaguars and the cincinnati Bengals were front and center on primetime thursday night football this past week and man jay boy did things look good early on we saw a lot of great plays being made on both sides of the football you know trevor lawrence versus joe burrow the future really of this league you know as we kind of talked about with our guests last week and Really, really excited to see them in this primetime matchup, as was the rest of the country, because this was the highest rate of Thursday night football game as far as NFL network you know, exclusivity since I think 2018 is the statistic that I saw, which means people are interested in seeing these two young teams play and, and you know, go at each other. So, you know, with that being said, of course, Jay, you know, going into the second half, the Jaguars did have that 14 point lead. Could have been 21 or 17, depending on the decision to go for it there. Of course, they failed to convert the fourth down and goal 
And, you know, you find yourselves in a position where you're kicking the ball off to Cincinnati to start the second half. And, you know, things just kind of unraveled from there. Cincinnati went on a 24 to seven run, of course, to end the game. Also with that game winning field goal right there at the end to improve to three and one and the Jags fell to 0 and four. But man, did we see some good things in this? I mean, James Robinson, it's like they're getting there, Jay. They're getting closer and closer to 20 carries each and every single week, but they just can't seem to fully commit. He did have 18 carries, 78 yards, two touchdowns, 4.3 a carry. They ran the ball with Trevor Lawrence quite a bit as well. Eight carries, 36 yards. He also had a touchdown run himself. You know, Jamal Agnew, LaVisca Chenault got a couple of carries. And then Dario Agumbawale as well got a couple of carries in there. As you know, Carlos Hyde was a late scratch that we certainly were not expecting. Trevor Lawrence, 17 to 24 and 204 yards through the air. Nothing extraordinary, but he didn't turn the ball over. And he made some great throws, Jay. So, of course, the other story being on the, you know, the opposite side of things as far as the negatives, you know, the Jaguars do lose DJ Chark for the season with that fractured ankle. You just absolutely hate to see it. A guy that we were, of course, always rooting for. And, you know, you hope that a guy that could possibly get paid this summer, you know, that's, you know, obviously up in the air now. He's going to be coming off of a major injury. So they really leaned on the Visca Chenault as well as James Robinson. Uh, LaVisca having a little bit of a breakout game, six catches, 99 yards here for him. And you mentioned earlier our new tight end, Dan Arnold, coming out right away and making some plays. You saw some of that athleticism on display early on. So, yeah, Jay, I mean, the offensive side of things, again, we seem to be saying this each and every single week. They're slowly piecing it together. They just haven't fully found a way to win football games yet. But what did you see out of the offense that has you, you know, even more excited than you already were? Well, first and foremost, I want to tell people, I kind of alluded to this and told people so on this where everybody, and I, I kind of joked on it to myself on uh, the Bengals number one podcast as well, that it was going to be comical. But at the same time in that podcast, I did tell people, do not be surprised if this podcast, or excuse me, this game puts up record numbers because that's the trend that Monday, uh, Thursday night football has been heading in. It seems like every week, the next game is out doing the next game in terms of viewership. And people's like, oh, you know, I, I made these jokes myself, but I was joking about it. I was being sarcastic. Oh, it's the Jaguars and the Bengals. It was people that were literally out there saying, who wants to watch the Jags and the Bengals? Two of the worst teams in the league. The Bengals probably are frauds and the Jaguars have Urban Meyer and he doesn't know what he's doing. Well, apparently a lot of people wanted to watch these two teams and a record amount of people wanted to watch these two teams. And it's good that Trevor Lawrence had the game that he had on the national stage because he's not going to get a lot of exposure in Jacksonville, at least not yet. But this could be a springboard to getting more national exposure. And, you know, I love the game plan that Daryl Bevel had with him in terms of, you know, getting him more involved in terms of the run game. And the more and more he establishes that, if he continues to establish that, because they were a bit, uh, you know, anemic in that end in terms of utilizing Trevor Lawrence's legs. Um, and now it seems like they've hit a 360 and they come to the realization that you're going to have to do that. If he has that athletic ability, you're going to have to do it. And what I liked about that is that they were smart with it, though. They realized, hey, we can do this. Let's be smart. Trevor Lawrence will run for a first down and slide. Trevor Lawrence will run for a first down and dive, you know, for the end zone instead of staying upright. I mean, he's 6'6", you know, and you don't want to be running through traffic high, you know, at his, his height, weight, and speed. 
because somebody in the NFL will knock your block off and probably, you know, the way that it goes with quarterbacks, they probably will give a penalty to the defense. But still, you don't want your quarterback going through that in the first place, regardless. Uh, so that's what I liked about this is that he ran the ball and he was smart, Phil, and he protected himself and he got down. We talk about that with Lamar Jackson a lot, too, is, you know, the reason why Lamar Jackson has been able to be the player that he's been able to be is because nobody can get a direct hit on Lamar Jackson. Well, Trevor Lawrence is a big body to get a direct hit on, but Trevor Lawrence has been smart enough not to let anybody get a direct hit on him. And as a result, you know, we can see more of this implemented into the game plan and people are going to have to, if they keep doing this, people are going to have to account for that dynamic of his game too. You know, not only the the cerebral part of his game where, you know, he's an arm talent, and he's starting to put it all together in terms of in terms of processing things. But then when you throw in the leg talent he has, that's a lot to account for for defenses. You could put defenses on their heels there. And that uh, that throw to Jamal Agnew was a throw we haven't seen, you know, in quite, you know, you could argue that might be the throw of the year in the NFL, but we haven't seen that throw definitely in Jacksonville made in in a while, if at all, you know, since Mark Brunel. And, I, you know, I keep saying that, but it's it's really been that long since we've seen that kind of talent going on in terms of height yeah you mentioned that he had the injury and I guess inadvertently they gave James Robinson more carries and that's what the Jaguars should have been doing anyway it's a shame that it took a shoulder injury for Carlos Hyde a late shoulder injury for Carlos Hyde for the Jaguars to realize hey we could give our star running back the ball 18 times and newsflash they should be giving it to him more it should be along the lines of 20 to 22 times if we being honest but still, nonetheless, it was a balanced attack. I think they threw the ball uh, 24 times and they ran it 30 times. I can live with that. I'm cool with that. That's the kind of balance I want. I don't want my rookie quarterback going out there throwing the ball 50 times a game. So, I mean, maybe down the road when he's a cold-blooded killer and, you know, he has that Peyton Manning gene and that Tom Brady gene, maybe he can drop back 30 times and do that. But for now, let's make it a little bit more balanced like we saw on Thursday night football. And uh, yeah, as you said, James Robinson was effective with his touches. As always, two touchdowns. He has three in the last, what, two games. And he also has, I think I counted it, it was 33 carries in the last two games. They're getting there with James Robinson, um, and as they should, because he's a top 100 player. No way that guy should have had 16 carries in his first two games. That's insane. But, you know, Darryl Belville is just feeling his way through this thing. As I said on the Bengals' number one podcast, I went back and looked at Darryl Bell's first year. I think that was 2012. And I think Marshawn Lynch was there. He started off that year not using Marshawn Lynch like he should have. And then it looks like it finally registered, hey, I got to get the run game more involved. And, you know, around that fourth or third week, literally it's the same pattern as this year. Literally around that fourth or third week, they started using Marshawn Lynch or whoever their running back was a little bit more. I forgot who it was. Um, Chark on IR which is kind of, it's puzzling because we thought it was a catastrophic injury, but IR only holds you for three weeks. So maybe it's not as bad as we think. I don't, you don't like to speculate. We're not doctors. Um, so don't pin that one on us, but I'm just saying like, they didn't, they didn't end his season, so to speak. They put him on injured reserve, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I have to go back and look at that. I haven't put out the article just yet on that, but I did see the email that related to that. Um, I feel probably can look that up if it was IR or whatever the case may be. So, LaVisca Chanel, 
stepped up in the absence of DJ Chark, man. Like, well, it's going to be interesting to see where he becomes these next three weeks, as well as Tyron Johnson, who hasn't been able to get involved that much. Uh, but now they need him. And yes, Jay, to confirm what you said, uh, DJ Chark has been placed on injured reserve along with AJ Can. So yes, to confirm uh, what you were saying there. Yeah, so we'll see where his uh, situation is. The season, so to speak, necessarily ended for him yet. Again, we're not doctors. We don't like to speculate. I wish we knew a doctor to have on this podcast Maybe could, that could maybe give us more in-depth analysis on it. But uh, we'll watch that situation. Yeah, man, of course, sending our best to DJ. You know, even though the beginning of the season for him has been disappointing, and we've talked about that. As far as, of course, the person, you know, you couldn't ask for, you know, a better teammate, better father, as you know, as it appears that he is family man and just a, a guy that the fan base loves and the locker room seems to, seems to love as well. So definitely hope That's that he's back sooner rather well. than later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, all around good dude. But, um, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off there. But, yeah, man, he is a good dude. And you can't help but feel for him, man, because he, he gives his all and he deserves to get paid, man. Like, you know, now this this injury in terms of a you know, health situation, that would say otherwise that he might not get paid as much as he should. But, um, you know, like we were just hoping to see him uh, get better throughout the weeks, you know. And I think, like, the surgery kind of offset him. And now this is kind of going to derail him, too, for, you know, an uh, indefinite amount of time. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's a situation that uh you know the Jaguars are going to have to really really figure out what do we do uh with this young man if it's if it's a severe injury definitely well let's get to the other side of the ball here Jay as far as the uh the defensive side I did want to shout out also LaVisca Chenault and Trevor Lawrence as well as Andrew Norwell for having that being the highest graded Jags on PFF this last game LaVisca with a 90.690 Point six, Trevor Lawrence, 79.1, and Andrew Norwell with a 77. But as far as the defensive side of things here, Jay, you know, going up against Joe Burrow, you see that he is slowly starting to piece it back together. We saw that he maybe was a little bit skittish early on in the preseason, in the season. But, man, that guy is firing on all cylinders now. And, honestly, just as a fan of football, and we talked about this with our, you know, our guests from Believe in the Number One Bengals show, we want to see Joe Burrow healthy because it makes the league better. It makes competition better. So honestly, seeing him more comfortable and seeing that, you know, him in that form, of course, ultimately it bit us, you know, in the behind, but seeing him healthy, of course, is always really fun and it makes for a, you know, a better game overall as well. But, you know, what about the defensive side of things here? You know, we did see them make definitely some plays early on and then it kind of just, fell apart in the second half. Again, 24 points they gave up in the second half, and you're finding guys out of position. Trey Herndon, of course, his first game back since last season coming off of injury. You see uh, you know, them kind of out of position. I think, of course, there was the play late in the game where, what was it, him and Campbell, I think, that get mixed up. I can't 100% remember. And then, of course, Miles Jack has to trail the, the tight end, you know, coming from behind. And what happened with the defense there where they, of course – looked so good in the first half and then the second half everything seemed to just be rolling downhill for the offense it was they were moving the ball with ease so what was the difference that you saw between the first and the second half was it just that you know you give them that little bit of momentum they get the ball back they score really fast and then from that point on it was the Joe Burrow show 
yeah, I think it was Jenkins, by the way, Phil, that Trey Hernan and um, that guy, like they both covered the, the right, same right, right, right. whatever yep. the case may be. And I don't know, I have to go back and I only seen that play one time at live. I have to go back and try and decipher what exactly went wrong there specifically. But yeah, I, I may put it on the timeline if I can go back and look at it. So yeah, in terms of this defense, I think what it is is simply that, you know, the Bengals went into halftime and, you know, their defensive coach, I don't know who their defensive coach is. John actually told us this, but their defensive coach probably, you know, let out a few cuss words, probably threw a clipboard or a bottle or two. It'd be Lou and Arumo. Okay. Yeah, probably threw a clipboard or two, threw a bottle or two, and let the guys know, like, hey, you know, this team, this defensive unit specifically, isn't talented enough to be having their way with y'all in the first half like y'all, like they are. And I think, you know, some of it might have been, like, the Bengals were just coming off a a uh, battle with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And you you know how divisional games go. They're exhausting. They were just coming off of that game with Pittsburgh. And maybe I think maybe they came into it a little lethargic, you know, and a little looking at it as if like, hey, it's just the Jaguars. They don't have a lot of elite talent on their defense. And then when they went into the locker room for halftime and realized like, hey, we're getting beat by a defense that literally does not have any elite talent. And, you know, they realized what was going on. Uh, you know, they came to life. They woke up and they turned on that extra gear and beat the Jaguars like they should have been be- beating them in terms of a talent level. They started doing that in the second half. And it was disappointing because, you know, the Jaguars didn't get a single stop in that half. And that can't happen in modern day NFL football, you know. I know there's professionals on the other side, on the offensive side, but these are professionals on the defensive side as well. Again, what it is, and I've explained this to many, many people that, you know, listen to the podcast, my best explanation of what was holding the Jaguars back, and I kind of touched on this last week, they don't have an alpha on the defense. As we say when we're talking amongst the homies, they got a bunch of men on that defense, a bunch of men and a bunch of below average players on their defense and this is not me knocking the players and disrespecting the players this is just calling it what it is in terms of a football aspect there you know there is no Calais Campbell there there isn't that clear-cut leader there is no Jalen Ramsey there I know y'all hate when we mention that guy but if you notice in 2017 when we had those guys they were able to especially you know Calais Campbell being a pass rusher they were able to elevate the mid-tier guys make them look above average, and so on and so forth. Well, there is no alpha to elevate the guys that are even mid-tier guys and the guys that are below average. You look at this defense, there's a lot of below average players on there that would not be on any other team aside from the Jaguars and maybe a a few other bottom-tier roster like the Jets and the Lions. That's an issue. And, you know, that's why I don't get disappointed when the Jaguars – allow teams back into the games because I I know that they just don't have the capability on defense to hold teams off when it comes to a talent level. So that being said, that's something that they can't fix immediately. What do you do? I mean, maybe, you know, it's October. Yeah. So maybe you could do something within the trade deadline to get you a guy or two in there, which they should be doing because they have so many issues, but it's not really anything you could do in the immediate, uh, in the immediate present or, you know, within the next few weeks or so, maybe towards the end of the month, or I think November might be when the trade deadline is, but maybe towards then, whenever the trade deadline is, you could get somebody in there. 
but they really need to be anytime a guy that is elite on defense becomes available they aren't in position to overlook that person even i would even go as far as saying the places they spent money on like safety and cornerback you still aren't in position to necessarily be overlooking those guys we'll see what trent balky does and if they realize this because they do not have a lot of good talent on that defense despite they're running the baltimore ravens scheme but they don't have baltimore ravens talent as um my man i think it was aaron cabrera said yeah, man. I mean, and you look at them just, again, not being able to finish off those QB pressures. I mean, Adam Gotsis had a sack as well, but you keep seeing guys swiping at the quarterbacks and they're just getting away and not able to finish those defensive plays. And those are plays that win you football games, guys. Those are plays that get you in position, you know, get your offense in position to continue to build up that lead. Now, should they have gone for the field goal at the end of the at the end of the first half? Probably. But your defense has to keep up that momentum. Yeah, one thing I wanted to say is, yeah, that play where they tried to run Trevor Lawrence in at the end of the second half, that was absolutely not a good play calling. Urban Meyer said they wanted to give the ball to James, uh, James Robinson, not O'Shaughnessy. I wanted to give the ball to James Robinson. But it's like I said at the end of the game on Twitter, it's easy to look back at that particular play and say like hey you know they should have kicked the field goal or they should have scored a touchdown or this that and other because the margin of error this team is so talent deficient that the margin of error is so small so you're gonna look back at every little mistake and say hey they they could have did something better there or they could have did something better there or whatever the case may be oh they missed the field goal there but if they had the talent level needed to have and they should have if they would have addressed or if they would have went into free agency the way that they should have and addressed things like they should have, you know, you would have the talent to make up for those mistakes. You would have the talent to make up for at times a touchdown, uh, a missed touchdown opportunity like we saw in the second quarter. What this comes down to more so is having the talent. They don't have the talent. And until they have the talent, we're going to be looking at every little mistake, every little mistake and saying literally like, Hey, you know, they left this on the field. They left that on the field and critiquing. It. Like, I was looking at it today, as a matter of fact, Phil. I don't think I looked on uh, NFLpenalties.com. The, the offense didn't have a single penalty called against them. The Jaguars offense. Listen to what I just said, y'all. The Jaguars offense that came up in the Doug Marone era didn't have, if, if what NFL penalty said is correct, didn't have a single penalty against them. Now, they had one technically that was an offensive penalty because the punt team was on the field and they consider that an offensive penalty by the referee standard. But really, that's a special teams penalty. It was Ross Madison, who was the long snapper. He he jumped early. But that's the long snapper. He's not even Brandon Linder. He don't play offense. But you can technically say that was an offensive penalty, I guess, by ref standards. But they didn't have a penalty, man. Like, how can the offense go unpenalized, put up 21 points, and we're still saying, oh, hey, I wish the offense would have got that extra touchdown or whatever the case may be. Well, I wish the defense would have got a stop in the second half, one single stop in the second half, which they didn't. And, uh, you know, that again, you know, we'll have to see if they address that issue uh, down the road. Now, let me ask you this year, Jay, do you come away from this, you know, more frustrated, more optimistic? Because, of course, you know, the opportunities were certainly there. You're in. Prime time, you know, you have this opportunity to kind of 
This is your first real opportunity to change the narrative in front of a national audience. How are you feeling? Are you a little bit more optimistic? Or are you kind of a little bit more frustrated that they let this one get away or maybe somewhere kind of in the middle? I mean, you're never okay with losses. You know, the fan of me is never okay with losing a game. But at the same time, you know, and this is one of the luxuries of a journalist perspective of it too, is sometimes I have to take the fandom out of it and the bias out of it. And with that, I've also realized, and, you know, Denard spoke on this with you, you know, off off the air. No, he was speaking on how he's seen this before with teams where, you know, they're just simply young and can't finish games. But at the same time, you see things on the field that should make people optimistic. And again, that most notably, that looks like we got the guy at quarterback. And, you know, we, we flat out aren't going out there. And I know this is, you know, people try and spin it, spin it as, hey, you're talking about a moral victory and this is silver lining. But they're not going out there straight up getting ran stadiums. And, you know, I, I feel like Jazz fans should understand what the silver lining and, and moral victory conversation is about because we've seen it before. And you know who we saw it before with, Phil? It was Gus Bradley. You remember in the Gus Bradley days, there weren't many close games. We were just getting, just ran out of the stadiums flat out. And this team is remaining, this team is different from that team in a big way. First of all, they got the guy at quarterback. They don't have Blake Borders throwing 20 picks a game. Second of all, they're keeping it close. And third of all, they're getting better by the week. The game is slowing down for Trevor Lawrence. They are figuring out the most important thing that there is to figure out in football. That's the quarterback position and playing offensive football. If you can figure that out, the rest will fall in place. The rest will come if you figure out the offensive side of the game. And, you know, I was encouraged by what I saw about that um, from that offense. The rest will come, though. You know, they need more talent on defense. Hopefully some of these guys out there want to play with a Trevor Lawrence and help that defense and believe in Trevor Lawrence. Uh, we'll see. But, you know, just based off of the Gus Bradley era, I've seen, you know, what that silver lining and that moral victory feel is. And this is not that. I'll say that. This is not that. I believe this team will be good down the road so long as Urban Meyer don't derail them, which we already talked about. Like, you're finally getting it together. Don't derail this team, man. Daryl Bevel is finally starting to figure out what he has on his offense. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, how much they can grow as as offense. I don't think the defense is going to do much growing as time goes on. Yeah, and then as far as, you know, special teams goes, there isn't really a whole lot to talk about, which in this case is a good thing because your kicker, <laughs> your standing kicker for Josh Lambeau, Matthew Wright, makes three for three on his extra points. No field goal attempts, but as I kind of jokingly tweeted out, but also not jokingly at the same time, as soon as Matthew Wright hits those extra points with no, you know, with ease, he becomes the most popular player on the roster. But again, uh, you know, it seems like maybe teams are starting to learn a few things about Jamal Agnew that they probably should have known beforehand. And, uh, you know, he didn't really get a, a, any uh, opportunities here. He did have a 27 yard return there over on, uh, on the kickoff return. So that was still there, but yeah, it seems like teams may start to uh, play the, uh, you know, kick the ball away from Jamal Agnew game here going forward but they can't avoid them on offense though bro <laughs> that's right that is true I, I really enjoyed seeing him you know on the offensive side with of course a couple of guys out with dj and carlos hyde so yeah get him the ball man he, players yeah. players make plays that's he got an <laughs> end around that went for a first down for 11 yards and then got the 27 yard catch 
which was a ridiculous throw by Trevor Lawrence, but it told drag swag as they called it. Yeah, man, like he got that. So like, this is a guy like people were like, well, Jamal Agnew, like if DJ Chark is out, Jamal Agnew is what? The second or third, well, the third, excuse me. I can't forget about Marvin Jones. But LaVisca, Marvin Jones, he's probably the third most talented receiver on that team. And I'm not laughing because that's funny. I'm laughing because, like, this is a guy that has shown he can do it on special teams. Now he's saying, like, hey, dude, like, I can run the ball, too, in terms of taking sweeps and whatnot. And I can also catch the ball as well, which, you know, now it kind of it makes sense why Urban Meyer didn't want to put him out there on offense during the, the preseason because he didn't want one of his most valuable assets getting hurt. One of the few things he's done right this preseason, though, believe it or not. But, man, I was excited to see him, and I want to see more of him on offense. Eight offensive snaps, by the way, and he can see double-digit offensive snaps down the road. Hey, man, player, ball players make plays, right? That's exactly what we're seeing out of Jamal Agnew, and, you know, hopefully we'll see some more guys step up. Again, as you mentioned, you know, Tyron Johnson, hopefully this will be, you know, his time now that he'll have a little bit more of an opportunity. Uh, we talked about Dan Arnold as well, showing off some of that versatility and athleticism. Jay, when I saw him take that catch and then change direction and head up field, I was like, Oh, what, what is that? What is that? We're used to these, you know, and, and no offense and, you know, all due respect to James O'Shaughnessy, but we're used to seeing these like slow lumbering tight ends. And I see Dan Arnold make this one running back style cut. I was like, what in the hell is that? <laughs> Bro, he left <laughs> that DB for a little bit, man. I was like, I haven't seen nobody a tight end pull away on this team, at least, pull away from a DB in that manner, in that fashion, ever, dude. Like, I don't think Mercedes was pulling away from DBs like that. Now, Mercedes was crafty. He was more so a crafty guy. But when I saw that speed that he turned around that corner with, I was like, man, like, what if this guy, I mean, we'll see later, he doesn't know the playbook, of course, all that much now. But this guy just ends up being just a steal on our part, man. Because, I mean, like, you're skeptical because, you're skeptical because he's a journeyman. He's been with, like, three, four teams. But, I mean, like, what I saw is something that they can build on, albeit just two catches. Hey, and he said he's just happy to be in a place that wants him here. And I, I assure you, Dan Arnold, we want you here for sure, man, especially if you're going to end up playing like that. But, Jay, we're going to get into our discussion here with Believe the Titans with Davey and Denard. Is there anything else you wanted to look back on as far as the Thursday night game before we uh, move into behind enemy lines for this week? Nah, man, that was pretty much it, man. I'd say to say in terms of the offensive defense, very interesting times, despite being 0-4 for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, a lot of that has to do with what I saw on the field in terms of, like, you know, my perspective, so... Yeah, man, I uh, can't wait to get into this interview, which I know is going to be pretty good because uh, Davey and Denard always bring it. Exactly. So let's go ahead and look ahead to our matchup week five with the Tennessee Titans with our friends Davey Hudson and Denard Walker from Believe in the Titans. All right, everybody, it is that time of the week where we go behind enemy lines, just like we do each and every single week. Now, this time around, it's going to be a little bit different. It is just myself. Jay had some errands to run, so I will be hanging out with our guest this week and guest that we absolutely love working with, despite the fact that our teams, you know, hate each other and the fan bases hate each other. But I believe 
out of any of the other, you know, Believe hosts, we've worked with y'all the most just because, you know, of course, we play each other two times a year. But, uh, you know, it's always just really fun to connect. So, guys, I'm going to bring in the hosts of the Believe in Titans podcast, Davey Hudson and Denard Walker. Davey, Denard, it is so great to see you guys and, and hear from you. How are y'all doing? And, um, you know, how are you holding up this uh, this early roller coaster of a season? <laughs> Phil, it's a pleasure as always. Uh, if you would have asked me that question three days ago, I would have been in a lot better mood when answering it. But all in all, man, I it's I mean, that's the NFL for you. So I'm happy that we're at least able to really get into the season and start to see how these teams are really shaping up. But all in all, man, I'm I'm happy to be back, and I, I think I speak for Denard when I say that we're always glad to talk with you and James. Absolutely, Denard, how are you holding up over there? Same thing, you know. Good to see you, and um, you know, ready to talk some football with you guys. Phil, I'm doing great, man. I can't complain. It's 13 weeks left. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, there's no use in in complaining right now. There's a whole lot of football left to play, and uh, you know, hopefully things will uh, will even out for. For both sides. But uh, yeah, we'll get into the questions here. Of course, uh, once again, talking to Denard and Davey from the Believe in the Titans podcast. You can find uh, Denard on Twitter at Denard underscore Walker and Davey is at Davey underscore Hudson. All that will be in the show notes for this week's episode. But let's get into it here. Davey, you kind of already alluded to it as far as, you know, what happened yesterday. We're recording this on a Monday night. You know, if there's a reason for the Jags and, and then their fan base to feel confident, it's because the Titans did just take a loss from the lowly New York Jets. You know, uh, could you explain what you guys think went wrong? Davey, we'll start with you. What happened? The biggest problem was the Titans just were not efficient. When you look at it on third downs, five of 19, Ryan Tannehill was sacked seven times and 14 times he got hit. You look at it, the Titans were not able to get pressure on Zach Wilson. And, I mean, just going back to the efficiency, there were several times the Titans get up 9 to nothing, and that's because they were having to settle for field goals. If they're able to convert one or two of those into touchdowns, maybe this is a different story, but the Titans let the Jets hang around, and ultimately the Jets were able to take advantage of this in the second half and come out on top. Titans did have a chance to tie it, but uh, talking about just being efficient, we're not able to hit the field goal to put that one in the uh, 0-1 column there for the, the tie, which I know everyone in the NFL and just sports fans in general in America love ties. So that's kind of where we're at. It's one of those things to where hopefully the team's able to get some players back that were missing due to injury. And if they can get their wide receivers back, maybe it's a it's a different story. But right now, Titans sitting at 2-2 two and two and just got to pick up the pieces that you left behind in New York and hopefully you don't bring that down to Jacksonville, at least if you're the Titans. And Denar, what, what do you think? So, you know, you always hear about the teams overlooking or the teams you hear about a trap game. Is that kind of, you think, what happened here? They were maybe overlooking the Jets or what, what happened? No, no, they just got outplayed. You know, I, there's no trap games in the National Football League, especially this part of the season. Uh, you have to give it up for New York. There is no disparity in the National Football League. I'm going to say that about a thousand times. And don't, do not look at the record. It's the same thing when they travel to Jacksonville. Don't look at the 0-4 record. If you look at this team and what they was able to do against Cincinnati, you realize this is a team that's a play away from getting their first victory. So when you do not win your matchups, uh, unfortunately, that's the way this game is won or lost. And our inability to make big plays, it's all about making plays. If you're a playmaker, Playmakers can make more plays than the opposing teams, and that will give you a chance to win. And we were not able to make plays on the perimeter, and that really is what cost this team. So 
hopefully this week we'll get Julio and hopefully AJ. We don't know uh, what's the situation with his hamstring, but if you don't get those guys back, then again, if these guys cannot step on the perimeter game, it might be the same situation. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, eager to go back and rewatch the game between you guys. I only saw the very end of it um, as far as overtime went. So I'm excited to, to go back and, and break down maybe uh, some of what you guys are talking about there. But yeah, as, as you said, Denard, you know, maybe a term that we should leave behind as far as a, you know, trap game and, and all that kind of stuff. Just like you said, the league is just, uh, you know, everybody's got talent any given Sunday, right? That's the, the terminology that's used here. So uh, let's look ahead though. And uh, you know, it, it's of course been uh, roughly a year since, you know, we've, we've seen you guys and also met up with the Titans. So give us a rundown of some of the key additions made this off season, of course, outside of the ones that we, you know, we're very aware of, you know, with Julio, but you know, what did the Titans do over the off season? That's uh, that are of note that you, you know, maybe uh, Jaguar fans missed out on Davey. For starters, the Titans made some changes. Well, it wasn't like they were wanting to, but Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator, left, became the head coach for the Atlanta Falcons. So the Titans ended up promoting tight ends coach Todd Downing to OC. Last year, the defensive structure was a little different. We didn't technically have a defensive coordinator, but they had Shane Bowen calling plays, but they've technically given him the label of defensive coordinator now. So the coaching staff, you kind of had a little bit of a shakeup there as far as what's going to be happening on both sides of the ball. It seems like Mike Vrabel's taking more of a CEO-type approach and not having his hand as involved as we'd seen in the past. From a player standpoint, I mean, this was one of those things to where, you obviously, you mentioned Julio from the receiver position they also went out and signed Josh Reynolds via free agency from the Los Angeles Rams and it was one of those things to where offensively we didn't have to make a lot of additions defensively complete overhaul the secondary based off what you all probably saw last year the only guy in the secondary still there is Kevin Byard who's been around for this team kind of the solid figure making sure that that Titans defense is doing well went out got Jackrabbit Jenkins they did also sign Right right now, I mean, I have to say also, also sign because they're having a lot of shakeup. Safety and Monty Hooker's on IR, so they've kind of had to go out, make some moves there. From the draft class, they got Caleb Farley in the first round. He's not been able to contribute. Second round pick, Dylan Ray Dunn's not been able to contribute for the offensive line so far. Third round pick, Elijah Molden and Monty Rice. We've not really seen much of them. So this draft class not making an impact early. But that's kind of been the thing is, a lot of the guys the Titans went out and signed, they've just been injured. We've not really been able to see a whole lot, the exception being to Nico Autry on the defensive line. He came in big this past weekend, and he's, he's made an impact so far. And what do you think, Denard, as far as, you know, some of these new additions, you know, it sounds like Davey said, you know, you guys haven't really gotten a, a good look at them so far. I haven't really necessarily been able to contribute too much. Is there anybody that you think, you know, Denard, that you maybe haven't gotten to see too much that you're really looking forward to finally getting to, you know, hopefully make that impact for the Titans on the field? Well, you know, Bud Dupree, you know, he was a big time free agent on defensively. That's when you talk about a team last year, a lot of people pointed out the defensive line or the lack of pressure or the lack of sacks. So you go out in free agency, you bring in Bud to really uh, strengthen in that front and they've been playing well. The problem is, is we haven't seen much of him. And so right now we need more production. I say we, the Titans, they need more production. But you have a lot of young guys. You talk about Ola and Davey. Say his last name for me, please. So Ola Adenei is another Pittsburgh signing that the Titans got. And just real quick, Denard, just to 
and I'll throw it right back to you. They signed Bud Dupree for $85 million. They signed Ola Adenayi for $1 million, and Ola's been the better player so far. Yes, he, he's really uh, has stepped up his game. And, if, you know, much like last year, you saw Derek Roberson, when he got in there and got those reps, he played really well. So I thought defensively they played well Sunday. I mean, when you can go into the fourth quarter with a 9-7 to seven win, your defense is giving you a chance to win. But, again, they've got, what, say, what about nine sacks on the season. I thought they had seven coming into this game. So you just want to see them continue, continue to jail. But one player in particular that I'm really – I'm really looking at to make a huge impact is Ola. For some reason, we didn't expect much out of him. And the way that he's played the last three weeks, I, I think he's a force to be reckoned with. So some names to keep an eye on here uh, as far as the uh, the matchup this coming weekend. Let's get to a question you actually already kind of alluded to here, Davey. How do you say or how would you think that the Titans are faring without their former offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith. And uh, you already mentioned, uh, you know, who's now, of course, you know, the Falcons head coach. How how do you think the offense is kind of gelling without him? Well, if you would have asked me week one, I would have said it's been terrible. Uh, The the Cardinals really did. I mean, just they beat the Titans in every facet of the game. But then week two, you saw the Titans come back and they were able to get things rolling. They decided to, we're actually going to be physical. So the run game with Derrick Henry is still one of those things to be feared and They've gotten it going. The one difference that I've seen a lot of so far with Todd Downing calling the plays versus Arthur Smith is the Titans are looking to get Derrick Henry involved in the passing game a lot more. And you're seeing these running backs really make an impact there. I mean, Jeremy McNichols was your leading receiver this past week. And he's a guy that, while they got him involved here and there last year, and he was primarily a third down back, but it just seems like Todd Downing, and I mean, he during his one season as an offensive coordinator for the Raiders, he was one of the top three offensive coordinators as far as getting the ball to the running back out of the backfield and in passing situations. And so you've seen that a lot more. They've continued to try to use the play action to open things up. And it's just one of those things to where if their offensive line's playing very well and really setting the tone, they're going to continue just to get Derek the ball. I mean, when you look at his carries, it's it's interesting just because he has been so dominant throughout his time in the NFL, but it's one of those things, how long can his body hold up when you continue to give him 30-plus carries a game? I, I mean, this these are the stats through four games for Derrick Henry. 113 carries, 510 yards, 4.5 average, uh, four touchdowns, and 14 catches for 125 yards. And the 14 catches, I, I want to say, like, that's close to a career high for him just in a season. He's already eclipsed that through four games. Man, what, what do you think, Denard, as far as, you know, how they're changing things up, of course, wanting to get Derrick Henry involved more in the passing game. Is, is that something they can keep up? Or do you think for the sake of, you know, keeping Derrick Henry upright and, and healthy, do they need to maybe start spreading the ball around more? What, do you, what are your thoughts on, you know, the, how the new OC is handling things? Well, as long as they don't have the kind of game plan that they did last the other day uh, in New York, because that will absolutely wear him back down over time. And I don't care who you are, especially right now. I mean, he's closed, what, over 100 – carries and only four games uh into the season is that <laughs> that's is a insane. lot of carries so what i'm that is insane that is insane and i actually played with a running back like that that was pretty much 90 percent of our offense and eddie george and probably by year six or seven you start to see him basically just kind of on the decline and that's not good and eddie was much like Derek. you know he can take a pounding he was big six three 240 pounds so I love the um, 
the fact that they're getting Jeremy McNichols incorporated into the game plan. I love that. They're giving him more carries. You're starting to see him a little bit more on first and second down. The situation or the problem right now for this team is that the receiving core is hurting. And what helps a good running game is when you can top off the defense. Look at, look at the Seattle game where they was able to get on top of the Seattle defenders and that opens up room in the running game because now you can take, you have to honor when you have two great receivers like a Julio or, or AJ, or if you have that number one threat like AJ, you have to respect that. So you can't bring that safety down. And that's, that was the problem Sunday, New York was able to say, listen, we don't really respect uh, your receivers. We don't feel like they can beat us so we can bring an extra defender in the box. And that makes it hard to run the football. So we have to find a way, and I say the Titans will have to find a way this week to get those receivers going. You have to top off a defense. The more you can get a receiver on top, which is Julio was able to do in the Seattle game, or look at the game against Indy, the big plays that he was making, that's going to open up that running game. But if that, if those two guys and AJ and Julio are not healthy and teams – you know, if they don't really respect you, what they're going to do is just going to do like New York. We're going to slide our corners up on your your receivers, play a little bit. We're going to play a little bit of man. We're going to challenge those guys and we're going to make them beat us. And until they can do something on the perimeter, it's going to be hard to really generate a, a healthy and a strong running game. If the Titans want to establish that, this will be the week to do it. You know, you have a secondary that's still learning how to play together. They, of course, just shipped out C.J. Henderson. They just got back Trey Herndon, who definitely struggled against Cincinnati. So maybe that's something you can exploit. So, you know, between uh, Shaq Griffin, Tyson Campbell, and Trey Herndon, the opportunity for them to, uh, you know, maybe get back on track is definitely going to be there for the Titans passing game. But let's get to the next question here first. And, and Denard, we'll, we'll send it to you first here. You know, of course, the Titans making uh, have made the playoffs a few years in a row now at this point. What are the expectations between not only the organization, but also the fan base? You know, what what is a, a successful season in the eyes of the Titans? Well, you know, you have to take one game at a time. It was 17 game season and you don't win the Super Bowl in week one or week two or week three or four. But you want to get off to a good start. And you want to make sure that in order for you to progress in this league, you have to stay healthy. I'm always harping on the word health because your health is your wealth in this league. We, we saw it uh, Sunday. If you don't have your playmakers out there, it's really hard to win in this league. It's hard enough just to go on the field and compete in the National Football League. You have to have guys like you look at Arizona, you talk about guys like Kyler and DeAndre, you talk, look at Jacksonville, the, the young studs you got in LaVisca's, Trevor Lawrence, those guys are starting to come together. They're starting to develop that chemistry, that rapport with one another. That's what you want to see. And for this Titan teams, there's a lot of expectations. You, you talk about free agency, you go out and get a first ballot Hall of Famer and Julio Jones to come in here to compliment AJ. But now, then you lose Corey in free agency. And when you have those pieces, you, you talk about on the defensive side of the ball, you go in, you spend a lot of money on Bud Dupree. You want the returns and the returns in this business is about winning. And it's not just about winning, but about winning championships. And this is a team that has all the pieces in place. Now they have to put it together. Unfortunately, they've been hit with the injury bug. They got to find a way to overcome this. And if they can find a way to overcome this and, and probably make it an ugly game, 
for the next couple of weeks until some of these players can come back like AJ and Julio, because it's going to be tough. You, you can't win in this league if you don't have the people to do it. And so right now it's all about getting healthy. If this team can get healthy, if they can get healthy, this is a dangerous football team. But if not, we saw Sunday, they're vulnerable. That's anybody. That's just the way it works in this league. So again, they have all the pieces to make it down to beautiful Inglewood, California in the month of February. They just got to find, uh, they just got to get healthy offensively. They're banged up. Talking about a lot of our offensive linemen, Sappho, Ben was laying down. We saw Taylor on the ground. I mean, they got beat up Sunday. And that will sometimes carry over next week because guess what? When you, when you get beat up like they did Sunday, it's hard to go out there and practice during the week. You can only take so many reps if your body is beat up. So right now for the Titans, it's all about health. And if they can get their health back and get it back soon, then we can see this team. We will see a team much like we saw in Seattle that, you know what? They can play with anybody in this league because Seattle it's hard to go up there and play and win. I mean, that team just, they don't lose, especially when they're winning by double digits going into what was the fourth quarter. It was what, think about the way Titans was able to score 24 points in the second half. That don't happen in Seattle. So I'm anticipating this team, if they're without their playmakers and AJ and Julio, they're probably going to struggle until they can get those two back. Yeah. And to kind of build off what Denard is saying there, Davey, is the sense that in a division that is kind of up and down you know maybe probably acknowledges one of the weaker divisions in football is the idea that you can win this division with eight nine ten wins and then if you're healthy going into the you know going into the tournament then you can make a run is that kind of what the thought process is very much so I mean there are still a lot of Titans fans and I I would probably include myself into that category where they view that if if they it's weird because even when they're not healthy, it's just it seems like the Tennessee Titans play to their competition, whether that's good or whether it's bad. And the Titans do have a pretty difficult stretch coming up. And no offense, after this week, I mean, this could still be a dogfight. But I mean, you got the Bills after the Jaguars, and then the Chiefs following that. So that's two of the better teams within the next three weeks. And so right now, it's it's one of those things where the Titans, and again, D said it earlier, any given Sunday. They seem to find a way to stay in these games, but it's one of those things to where you're a team like the Titans. It's win-now mode. You've got all the pieces to where it's, hey, we need to take care of these teams that are in the bottom half of the league right now that are on the up-and-up, starting rookie quarterbacks, trying to really fill out what they have, and they're building for the future while it's like we're in win-now mode. But you would at least have some sense of, okay, well, right now you still got to game up on the next place team in the division and if you can continue to just make sure that you win the AFC South you go into the playoffs and it's we don't have to look back too far the Titans going into the playoffs in 2019 it wasn't like they were some juggernaut that had been dominating the season they kind of got going when the time it hit at the right moment and they were able to make a run to the AFC championship. And so I think that's at least what you're hoping for right now. If you are going to have to continue to fight the injury bug, it's just like, all right, well, let's just make sure we're staying in this race. We can hopefully come out on top when it's all said and done and then make our move once we get to the playoffs. Because I mean, it's kind of like right now I'm, I'm thinking the AFC South is comparable to what the NFC East was last year. And that's not good, but if you are the, the best of the worst division, you have to take advantage of it. And if the Titans don't end up winning the AFC South this year, I think you're going to see a lot of changes in Nashville. 
Yeah, a little bit of a, you know, a war of attrition. So, of course, you know, the Jags still trying to figure it out. And then you look at the, you know, the Texans coming off a huge blowout loss. So really, you know, you're looking at the Colts. And, and as you mentioned, this stretch here, Bills, Chiefs, Colts, and then Rams, you know, so you're looking out even further. That's definitely a bit of a stretch. So you definitely, uh, I could see from the Titans standpoint, you would want to come into this game and start writing some of those wrongs. This is the opportunity to do it against a young team that is still learning. We're coming off this crazy Urban Meyer thing. I was about to say, it's not like like there's a distraction. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I'm sure. And uh, to give you guys a little preview, we will be joining Believe in the Titans, Jay and I, uh, here tomorrow. So we'll be on there next week. I'm I'm assuming we're going to talk about it. (laughs) Oh, we're going to talk about it. I'm going to stay out of that. <laughs> we, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. We, we didn't get a chance to yeah. get together this summer, but I mean, I haven't. Right. Like, like you said, it's been since last year since we talked, but I mean, a lot of change in Jacksonville since yeah. then. So it's, I'm sure our listeners would love to kind of get the the take of the guys that have been following this ever since this move has made place. And obviously, I mean, the goal right now is to make sure Trevor Lawrence stays healthy because he is the future of the franchise. Exactly. And we're definitely seeing some promising things. So yeah, for, you know, any of your, your crossover listeners listening to this episode, we will be joining you guys uh, this week as well. So we'll get to one more question before we get to predictions here. And this is a question we like to ask our guests each and every single week. Denard, we'll start with you. There was a player that you could pluck from the Jaguars roster and place on the Titans to, you know, improve the team. Who would you choose? I know last year you had an affinity for LaVisca Chenault. I don't know if that's still oh, your pick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, that still, is that still your guy or would you go with someone else? Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's from right here, right down yep. the street from me. And not to mention, I think he's going to be a stud in this league. I've been watching LaVisca since he was in high school and he's a star. He was a monster at the University of Colorado. He was like that one bright spot when you go watch that Buffs team that really wasn't that good. And he's a playmaker. The only thing you have to do with LaViscus is just put the ball in his hands. He can line up anywhere on the field. You can line him up at running back because he's big. He's a big, thick, strong kid. And you just can't go up there and, you know, and and try to touch him. You got to go up there and be physical. And he's a physical receiver. So LaViscus, especially with our receiving core uh, down right now, is I would love to take LaViscus. Instead of you guys trading and I don't want to talk about the CJ Henderson situation but I would have loved to see LaViscus in Nashville I think that would be beautiful well I wouldn't want to see that (laughs) (laughs) they have started to get him a lot more involved the last couple of weeks so you're probably going to see him a lot more of course we have the DJ Chark injury too unfortunately losing him for the season so this is the opportunity they're still trying to incorporate Tyron Johnson into the offense as well so you're going to see a heavy dose of Marvin Jones, J-Rob, and, uh, of course, LaVisca. So, Davey, who's that guy, either offense, defense, special teams, that you would uh, want to pluck from the roster? Yeah, right now, I mean, Denard said it, LaVisca Chenault, but I'm going to go just to give you guys something a little different. I would also say Marvin Jones, just simply looking at the receiving core for the Titans right now, it's something to where he's a guy who's got a lot of experience. I like what he was able to do in Detroit, and I think now that DJ Chark's down, you're going to see a, a lot more of Jones, and he's a guy that's really going to help Trevor Lawrence out. But really, just to go the other side of the ball, I'm going to say it's Josh Allen. I mean, the Titans, if you could pair Josh Allen and Harold Landry right now, I think those guys would be getting to the quarterback consistently, and it would be making making things very difficult for whoever the opposing quarterback was. And so, just, I mean, he's a guy that he's going to be a playmaker for years to come. And so, if I'm looking at that defense, it's definitely going to be Josh Allen. Yeah, we're starting to see Josh Allen after uh, a, a little bit of a disappointing campaign last year. Come on, he's got a couple of sacks heading into this game. 
And, you know, with Josh Allen, it's really just finding him that running mate that he had when Calais was here, you know, and, and, and Jan and, and Yannick Ngakwe were here. So really just trying to find that guy opposite of him to, uh, you know, to rush the passer. I'm, I'm waiting for the week. Maybe it'll happen later on in the year. I'm waiting for someone to say Jamal Agnew. He's, of course, been, uh, you know, the big play guy here waiting for somebody to give me that answer. But that has not happened quite yet. Again, a whole lot of season left. So we'll see what happens as he has become, a, of course, a bright spot here uh, as far as the uh, the Jags and the special teams. So let's get into the predictions here. You guys, Davey, we'll start with you. How do you see this game breaking down? Do you think the Titans kind of rebound here? And I do. And I would honestly be more, more worried about this game for the Titans had they won last week. But this is a team whenever something goes wrong, the following week they rebound in a, a a very favorable fashion, especially whenever, I mean, just perfect examples, just going to week one where they got beat by the Cardinals in embarrassing fashion, and then they go up to Seattle the next week and they're able to grit a win in overtime. It's so hard for me to put a score prediction on this one just because of all the injury concerns. I would love to think that the Titans would be able to get at least one of those receivers back that could at least help take some of the pressure off Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. And, I mean, this is a game, though, where Derrick has shined as of late. And if he's going to continue to put up the numbers, I'm sure they're going to give him a, a giant load to carry once again. But right now, I, I think it's going to be a little bit more on the lower scoring side than what we've seen the last couple of years. But right now, I would say that the final score of this one would be Titans 27, Jags 17. Denard, what do you think? Which way, uh, again, it sounds like, you know, whenever, you know, a disappointing loss happens to the Titans, they seem to rebound. Do you see that in a big way? Or do you think, it'll, you know, maybe we'll keep it a little closer? You know what? Usually when they respond to adversity, it hasn't been like this in the past where we've seen so many injuries, especially the key players. And that's what scares the heck out of me. If Julio is back or we get AJ back, and I don't know if both will be 100%, if we can get some quality play out of the receivers this week and if, if they can able to really work this defense, because I, I think the Titans, their receiving core matches well against Jacksonville because you guys are very young. We talk about with Tyson Campbell, the rookie out of Georgia, uh, Shaquille Griffin. We saw Joe Burrow in the second half kind of start lighting them up, him and Jamar Chase. So if we can get a big game out of – Josh Reynolds this week. I think he will be the X factor. And if he can get over the top of that defense and allow the D train to come back home, what he's right out of Uly, I think I, I have the Titans win it, but it's going to be close. It might be somewhere, I don't know. I, I give 20, 2017, because this offense for Jacksonville, they've caught on fire. I think they have found their DNA, and that's what scares the heck out of me. But I do think the Titans, like David said, we they respond to adversity. I got 20, 2017. Yeah, I will, I will say that ever since Ryan Tannehill has taken over for the Titans, their lowest scoring output against the Jags is 31. So, And again, 30 is the number that if the Titans can get there, they pretty much walk away majority of the time victorious. Yeah, and you know, to give you guys a little preview, the fan base especially, and, and Jay and I are just clamoring for them to continue to give the ball to James Robinson. And they got up to 18 carries on Thursday night. Like we're just, we're almost there, but they, you know, they still haven't seemed to fully commit to that. And, but at the same time, Trevor's playing well, you know, he's finally, he's getting that chemistry with Marvin Jones, with LaVisca, Dan Arnold came in right away and started making plays. So we've been lacking a tight end for a very long time. So if you can get any production out of that, that's always a, a plus, but 
you know, regardless, definitely looking forward to the matchup. If, it, if it's been like some of the other matchups with Tennessee, it'll at least be entertaining for myself, who is a season ticket holder. I just want to stay cool and enjoy my, enjoy myself. So hopefully that will be the case, but Denard Davey, again, I love catching up with you guys and uh, looking forward to doing it on your show again uh, here later this week. Uh, but before we let, uh, let you guys go, let everybody know where they can find, you know, all of your work and uh, of course, all your handles and everything like that. Certainly. Well, you can listen to us the same place you all listen to Phil and James on the Believe in Jacks pod. We're on all the same streaming services as it relates to social media. You can follow me at Davey underscore Hudson. That's D-A-V-E-Y underscore H-U-D-S-O-N on Twitter and Instagram. And we're also at Believe Titans, B-L-E-A-V-T-I-T-A-N-S. And my boy, Denard. Denard, tell them where they can find you. Denard underscore Walker. You can always hit me there. Short and simple. And all that, of course, will be included in the show notes. Denard, I do have one more question for you. Last year when we, uh, we met up with you, you had famously stated that the Jaguars, if we're in position, should take one Mac Jones, uh, you know, of course, oh. local kid here from Jacksonville. How are you feeling about Mac Jones so far, man? I just want I mean, I feel great. to hey. like a pretty, pretty great spot, right? It's a good spot. I'll tell you him. what, you know what? New England got their quarterback. I, I can't complain. Listen, Mac Jones should complain. Uh, he's going to be special. He's going to be a special player. But I tell you what, that guy that you guys have in Jacksonville, he is a once in a generational player. You guys got your version of John Elway, Dan Marino, all that rolled into one. He is a special, special player. And again, that's what scares me about this game Sunday because <laughs> he's getting better. Yeah, he is definitely slowly putting it together. Well, uh, you know, again, hopefully everybody gets through this game you know, safe and healthy. And uh, we, again, we look forward to meeting up with you guys here later this week and David and Arden, it was good seeing you and uh, we'll speak soon. You guys take care. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. You Thanks, do the Phil. same. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that discussion with the leave in the Titans with Davey and Denard and Jay, you know, I know you couldn't join us here for this one, but we will be on their podcast here later this week as well. But, you know, even though, as, as we, I mentioned, you know, of course, the Titans are most hated rival, but love talking to Davey and Denard because, uh, you know, one, they are, of course, extremely knowledgeable, but two, we just gel with them really well, and they're a whole lot of fun. So, uh, you know, that was a, a lot of great insight and very much looking forward to, you know, meeting up with them again and also for the matchup this weekend. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, like I've been kind of looking forward to this matchup because, you know, just the steps the Jaguars have made on a week-to-week basis. Again, they haven't been able to win, and that defense, I'm not all that optimistic about. But at the same time, you know, you know, my argument has always been, like, what do we look like when we finally get the guy at quarterback against the Titans? And now we're going to get to see it. That being said, I am excited to see this game. Excited to speak with Davey and Denard as well on their podcast um, because – as always, you know, like you said, they're, he, they're rivals, of course, but at the same time, man, like we always have good conversation with them. Now, I don't know if that'll necessarily be the case with other Titans fans. They might end up brawling with us, uh, but for some reason, we can, we can vibe with, with Davey and Denard, oddly enough. <laughs> yeah, just a, a whole lot of fun with them. Hope you guys enjoyed that as we look ahead to week five. Jay, before we get out of here, you know, let everybody know what they have to look forward to, not only here in the podcast, but also over on the Jaguars wire. Yeah, we'll get going in terms of looking at the Titans and, uh, you know, previewing them behind enemy lines. As you said, with 
audio in written form as well. We'll continue to look at uh, Thursday night's game. I might look at the second half again. And But, yeah, man, like, it, that game is behind us. It's on to moving forward in terms of the Tennessee Titans. And, uh, yeah, man, another solid episode on our part, man. It was good to be a part of it. Absolutely, folks. Well, again, thank you all so much for listening. If you are listening on your Apple device, again, please consider leaving us a five-star review. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Of course, we are found at Believe Podcast and at Believe Podcast over on Twitter. You can follow the show at Believe in Jags Pod. You can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And Jay is over at Sports Grind underscore Don. And of course, make sure you follow the Jaguars Wire for all of your up-to-date Jacksonville Jaguars news. This has been Believe in the Jaguars, presented by Bet Online. Don't forget to believe in the Jaguars, but more importantly, believe in yourselves, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 